Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. NBC Sports, Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello. Welcome back. Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this on a Thursday evening. Returning guest. That's fun to say. Not first timer. Returning guest, Jimmy Himes of 991 The Sports Animal and The Sports Source and everywhere else over Knoxville uh, for the last 30 plus years. Jimmy, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, Chase. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Okay, Jimmy, you got to give us a fill-in since uh, the month or so away. What, uh, what have you been doing? Have you still been playing pickleball? a lot have you been at the holston river a little bit more have you gotten some traveling in what has semi-retirement looked like for you of late it's been a lot of golf a lot of tennis and some pickleball as well uh okay. earlier today i'd sat out on my boat dock and watch the sunset that's been a a fun thing to do so staying really active doing a little bit of yard work and stuff so and uh, and keeping up with tennessee football and reading the articles and stuff and looking at some of the stats about tennessee's upcoming opponent Okay, well, we'll get into that because uh, it's it's interesting to see how the national media has kind of shifted on this game, and honestly, how I've shifted as the week has uh, gone on here. So, 
Let's first get into uh, what it looks like against AM because <laughs> before we even get into the game itself, uh, Gary Danielson this week made some headlines in Knoxville that ruffled some feathers, uh, a lot of Tennessee fans' feathers, about whether or not Tennessee and Neyland Stadium specifically was just like any other SEC environment. And when fans really got upset was when like Ole Miss was cited as an example where no offense uh, against Ole Miss, but uh, the Grove might just be a little bit different in uh, than Neyland Stadium. When you heard that and when you thought about um, the difference between playing inside Neyland Stadium versus other SEC venues, do you think it, it is a significantly different home field advantage than uh, a lot of the other ones in the SEC? Uh, than a lot of the other ones, absolutely. It's a better home field advantage than Ole Miss or Mississippi State mm. uh, or Arkansas or Kentucky. Uh, so it, are there some stadiums in the SEC that's loud? Yes. Uh, but think about this. Uh, and, and this, I'll be curious to see how A&M handle, uh, handles this. Mm. Alabama plays at A&M and they have nine pre-step penalties. Uh, South Carolina plays at Tennessee and they had a few. I can't remember the exact number. Tennessee goes to Florida and has six pre-snap penalties. So I, I do think the home crowd plays a significant role in this. And I think Tennessee's home crowd at Neyland Stadium is about as good as anywhere in the SEC or about as good as anywhere in the country. So I, I would uh, strongly disagree with Gary Danielson. It was weird because he's called so many games here. And when you've mm -hmm. been here, it, it's funny, too, because I remember – Georgia fans where Kirby had to get Georgia fans up and uh, Eric Angel colleague getting uh, some Georgia fans angry about uh, the atmosphere uh, that he founded, which, again, wasn't wrong. It's an opinion. He played there. It's a little bit different when it's a player saying uh, it wasn't as intimidating. That's straight from somebody who was there. And also, he had success uh, inside Stanford Stadium. But it's also different where I think a lot of people and I tell friends even back home in Atlanta and stuff is the difference with the that Neilan is it's a Coliseum feel. It's kind of like a Roman uh, type deal with how high it goes, how big it is. And I mean, I was in the building with my dad two weeks ago and that was the loudest. I think that was outside of the Alabama game, the loudest Tennessee has been um, in the three years that I've been here. So, I mean, it just, it's just different. And I think that's okay. Like, I think it's hard to replicate what it's like in Neela when it's going. And I think Saturday afternoon, it's going to be another one of those examples where it's it's really going now. The rain potentially might make things a little bit interesting with Checker Neelan, but um, we'll see how that goes. But it just, I think there is a built-in advantage with just the structure. Don't you? Well, I do. And, and I think it is a very loud venue. And look, Tennessee has to give the fans reasons to cheer. Mm. Uh, under Jeremy Pruitt, there weren't a whole lot of reasons to cheer. Under Josh Heupel, there have been a lot of reasons to cheer. I mean, the, the electric atmosphere they had, look, I, I know the Ole Miss ending was was embarrassing for Tennessee and the way the, the fans behave, but that was an incredible atmosphere for that mm. game. Uh, the uh, Alabama game was an incredible atmosphere. I thought the South Carolina game was a great atmosphere. So I don't know how high on the decibel level you have to get before you're in that elite company, but when it impacts the opponent's offense, they have pre-snap penalties or they're late getting off the ball, that, to me, is a huge home field advantage. Absolutely. And that's why I'm probably not as fearful of going to Kentucky, going to Mizzou this year, where, yeah, it's not great to get both on the road this year with the kind of year that Tennessee's had thus far and blowing the game early against Florida. But 
I don't think you're going to have those kind of pre-snap penalties that Tennessee found themselves in against Florida and probably will next week against Alabama and Tuscaloosa. It's just different. Like I, we've seen it. And uh, I just, I don't think that the, that's something that really, really hurts this Tennessee team is when things get loud um, at some of those bigger venues and they put themselves in third and long, especially with this group uh, with Joe Milton instead of uh, Hendon Hooker. But when you look at this upcoming matchup with Texas A&M, has your opinion have you found yourself as you've dug into the numbers dug into where tennessee's at coming out of the bye where what you saw from AM uh with max johnson now a week ago have you shifted back and forth did you have a thought coming out of AM alabama about which way this game was going to go and it's changed or have you been pretty steadfast in how you feel this game goes on saturday i've been pretty steadfast in how i felt like the game might go now obviously uh, the personification of a team could change from game one to now. Uh, with A&M, I thought that this was a 50-50 game for Tennessee going into the season. And I still think it's pretty much a 50-50 game. Mm. But there is one thing that has happened that has shifted my opinion a little bit, and that is this. A&M has played one true road game. I don't count playing Arkansas and Arlington. That's not a true road game. Mm. They've played one true game road game. It was in Miami and they gave up 48 points. Now, I don't think Tennessee's going to score 48 points. I think A&M's defense is too good for that. But to me, what is A&M proven as far as going on the road? In my opinion, nothing. You know, they got whipped by Miami pretty soundly. And so I think that's, to me, that gives Tennessee a bit of an advantage. And maybe I'm putting too much stock in A&M's performance at Miami. And I know the Tyler Van Dyke was red hot in that game. But the fact they gave up that many points, that many passing yards, uh, it makes me wonder what type of a road team A&M is. Are they 10 points better at home, 14 points better at home than on the road? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out this Saturday. But I, I do think that plays to Tennessee's advantage in that A&M went on the road and got whipped badly. If Tennessee was going to A&M this weekend, even out of the bye, where would you see this game going? A&M. I'd take A&M. No a hesitation is, there. Yeah, A&M is better than Florida. And Tennessee yeah. couldn't handle the noise there. They couldn't handle the pre-snap penalties there. They didn't play a very good game there. I think Tennessee probably play a better game against A&M, but I, I, would, I would favor A&M. And I look back to Alabama having nine pre-snap penalties. Alabama either had 13 or 14 penalties in the game. Mm. Now, they're good enough to overcome it. In my opinion, Tennessee would not be. So I would, I would take A&M at College Station. I think, too, something I was thinking about where I, I was telling Matt on the show last night where if Connor Wegman doesn't get hurt, I think I still pick A&M outright this weekend. Um, Max Johnson, he's a capable backup, but they're kind of in that Joe Milton thing where there's still the training wheels and you still he kind of will do some stuff where you're like, no, let's let's stay in structure uh, a little bit here. And it's just different. You can see it where Connor mm -hmm. Wegman looked like a Heisman type quarterback, uh, even when he was dealing, took some crazy shots in that Miami game. But he was he looked like a really, really good quarterback. Um, the five-star pedigree that uh, came in uh, to College Station with. And I think Tennessee would have had real problems with him with this secondary. Max Johnson doesn't scare me as much. And I think something that I'm curious from your perspective, if this game's close, do you think Tennessee wins? Because the spread's three and a half. And what I look at is because Josh Heupel's been so good at home and when he wins at home, he's winning big. Usually things get ugly for teams where... 
they, the crowd gets really into it. You have like a Danico Slaughter big hit and a pick. You get there's some kind of big moment. Spencer Rattler almost runs out of the back of the end zone. There's just you can see how the the things get ugly in a hurry uh, for teams in the road against Josh Heupel and this this group when they come into Knoxville, or it goes the other way. And I don't know if Tennessee, it's a good sign if we're looking at this game and it's 24-24 going into the fourth. I think that's actually a pretty bad omen for Tennessee's chances. Do you share that or do you think they can win a really close game throughout in Neyland? Well, I think they can win a close game and I've actually predicted a, a close game. Okay. I don't, I don't see a whole lot of points in this game, uh, which in and of itself is dangerous. It, it would be a close game. Yeah. So... I just don't see a lot of points. I think A&M's defense is 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 really good, in particular when they're playing at home. I don't mm. think they will play as poorly as they did at Miami on defense. I don't know that Joe Milton is going to be able to score on – if they have 12 possessions, I don't know that he's going to get five touchdowns out of that. I doubt it. And I don't think A&M I – th- I think Tennessee's defense is pretty good. I don't think A&M's going to go up down the field. I don't either. Um, and and I think Max Johnson. I think Johnson. He had sixty yards rushing the other day. He's probably a little bit more mobile than Wegman, mm. but uh, there was a reason Wegman won the job. Now Johnson's been around a while. I think he's mm. a fifth year guy mm. uh, who's had some good moments. Uh, but going on the road, I wonder about how he's going to play at Neyland Stadium. So I, I see a low scoring game relatively. And I see Tennessee pulling it out. The spread is three and a half. I've got Tennessee barely, barely covering that spread. There's just something about it that if Tennessee barely covers it, I think they lose. I think if I'm sitting, if <laughs> well, I, then they won't cover it. <laughs> well, I mean, like if it's three point game in the fourth quarter, or if yeah. it's in the twenties in the fourth quarter, I'm turning to my wife and I'm going, "This is not going to end well. This is uh, this is just not going to end well because it's one thing when it's Bama and you're going back and forth in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. It's another thing entirely when it's a team like Texas A&M or South Carolina or Kentucky or somebody. I think Tennessee needs to be up early because I think they, you need some confidence here because Brew McCoy out for the year. We have no idea what the, what kind of difference that's going to make. Yeah. Something tells me it's going to make a pretty big difference, um, especially with the screens on the edge that they were just doing so much of that side to side stuff with Squirrel, and they were throwing that to Bruce way because Bruce just such a good body uh, blocking wide receiver on that side. You're going to have to trust Jacob Warren a lot more. McAllen Castles mm-hmm. a lot more. Yeah. Caleb Webb has to play a bunch. There's just no real alternative. And uh, we'll, we'll see what the Dante Thornton experience looks like. But I think at this point, you have to just kind of better luck next year with the hamstring and everything else. It's just it seems like it's going to be really hard to get him going consistently at this point in the year. And if you're kind of operating under that assumption, I don't know. I think. So much of this is sneaky on Joe, and we talked about it last month about how important it was for Joe to have a good game in the swamp for Tennessee to have a chance, Jimmy. I think this is a sneaky big game for Joe because not only is it at home and expectations are high here that you're trying to keep this season afloat because the East is still right there. You only have the one Florida loss. You still have Georgia coming into town um, next month. Like The season's still in front of you. You lose this. And then you have Alabama the next week. You still got at Mizzou and at Kentucky, and it doesn't get any easier down the stretch here. I I think he has to actually have a really good game. I don't think he can be the game manager that he was two weeks ago, just handing it off and letting Dylan Sampson and Jalen Wright and company do all the work and relying on a, 
uh, his one uh, deep shot being one where Squirrel didn't even see the ball. Like, I don't, you got really lucky there uh, as the only deep shot where Squirrel was awesome and answered it honestly about like, I don't know, it just hit my leg and I was like, I got it. Um, I don't think he can get away with that. So if we're looking at this yeah. game, Jimmy, and it's the third quarter and I send you a text, I'm like, we have zero explosive plays downfield. Um, <laughs> I think that means Tennessee's lost the game. I don't think Joe can get away with that. Do you agree with it? No, I think he has to play well. Uh, I also think he has to run the ball five to eight, maybe ten times. Uh, hmm. And and I I can see where against South Carolina they he was a little bit banged up, so he didn't run it much. And as we all saw that eighty-one yard run against Texas San Antonio, I think for them to be efficient in the zone read, he's got to keep it a few times. In fact, the first play of the game, I might have him. I might just tell him, "You're keeping it. <laughs> You're going to run the football." Yeah. But he has got to run the football some in that zone read. He's got to read it right also. Yeah. Uh, so he's got to make some plays there. Uh, he's got to hit some intermediate, intermediate passes or some deep throws. Uh, I do think Tennessee will throw a couple of flanker screens. Uh, I, I'm a big advocate of putting D. Williams on offense. Hmm. My goodness, that guy is so good with the ball under his hand. You could run a, a speed sweep or a reverse. Uh, you could run a, those flanker screens out there that they throw. Or you can tell him you're running the deep route, just hmm. a go route. That's all he's got to do. And look, that's three plays for him right there. The other times he could be sort of a decoy. Maybe you fake it to him on a reverse or you just throw it to somebody else. That doesn't mean he has to come out of the game. But if you can get three or four routes for him to run and just get him the football, goodness, I, I think he could make some dynamic plays just like I think a Dylan Sampson can. Now, uh, I he, to your point about if it's close, you think A&M wins, it, that gets down to which team – or maybe even which quarterback you trust the most to make the play mm. to win the game. Uh, I'll be curious about this. A&M's got the best run defense in the SEC. Uh, Auburn ran uh, for a number of yards against them, but they did it with their quarterback. Mm. So I, I, I don't – that I, one, I think Milton has to run some. He's not going to run for as many yards as Auburn's quarterbacks did. But the other thing is he's got to uh, – Tennessee's got to run the ball effectively with their three-headed monster. And if they can hit some passes and force A&M uh, to have five or six in the box, then I think Tennessee will have some success. They're not going to run for 200 – what are they averaging, 230 yards a game? Mm. They're not running for that. But if they can get in that 140 range, 150 range running the football, I think it'll be a successful day for Tennessee. Isn't it weird to think about where we're at where, I mean, the stats of just this is still the worst passing Josh Heupel team he's ever had uh, as a head coach. Like, that's just where we're at right now. And mm -hmm. Tennessee fans are like, you're winning. So it's just it, it's a testament to Heupel and the staff for finding mm -hmm. unique ways to win um, with just kind of the limitations this year and the injuries and this, that and the other on offense. But I <laughs> I think this is just kind of a really bad matchup for Tennessee where Texas A&M secondary is so bad. And I never thought I would say this in the Hypel era where I'm like, yeah, that's not great that the weakness for Texas A&M to attack and for Tennessee to have a great day scoring 40 plus points is against the secondary and going deep because I don't know if this staff trusts Joe. I don't know if they have the personnel to attack in that fashion. I don't know what that looks like. I haven't seen Tennessee and we're in mid-October win a football game that way this year. I don't know if they can win a football game that way this year, but it's so important that they show Tennessee fans and the SEC that they can win because that's the difference in what they can be because we will be able to recalibrate our expectations for Tennessee based on how this game goes because if they are not able yeah. to take advantage 
of the intermediate stuff, of stuff deep, of Joe being third and eight and connecting on important throws and keeping drives alive and not uh, going three and out a lot. I think it puts instills a lot of confidence and it shows this team can be a lot more complete on offense than they'd shown previously. But if they don't take advantage and they are just still running it on third and nine and just taking fourth and two and hoping for the best, I don't know if that's a recipe for disaster or a recipe for success the rest of the way. And I also think it signals that like this season, you've got to recalibrate your expectations because that mm-hmm. like that switch is not coming on at any point this year. If you're not doing it against this A&M secondary at home, I don't know when the vertical passing game is coming. And then at that point, you're like, what is the point of Joe Milton the rest of the way if you can't take advantage of those kind of deep shots and be the full offense that you want to be, the full fulcrum? Now, Chase, they got Connecticut coming up. That's true. Well, okay. coming up, it's well, then, a, got, what, four weeks? When is Connecticut? Yeah, so they got a vertical game against Connecticut. Now, come on, don't be uh, – I'll say this, though, to your point. If Tennessee doesn't beat A&M, Tennessee's going to lose at least four games this year. And that'll be a disappointing season. That'll be disappointing. I don't see Tennessee winning at Alabama. I don't see them beating mm. Georgia. And if they lose to A&M, that, and, and it, look, I'm not going to give them the Kentucky game. Um, so uh, is it potential five losses if they lose to A&M? Potentially. Uh, but I, I think they will definitely, in my opinion, I strongly feel they would lose at least four if they don't win this game. Now, uh, with some of the other factors, um, a&M secondary is vulnerable. You got to give Joe Milton time to throw. A uh, and M leads the SEC in sacks. They lead the SEC in tackles for loss. Tennessee's really good at not having negative plays in the run game. They have some sacks, mm. but as far as the run game, they don't have many negative plays. So things stay ahead of the change. Here's another stat. Look, this off the top of my head, so I may, I may not have these numbers exactly right. But uh, against Texas San Antonio, Tennessee ran thirty something. 30-something first-down plays, they gained 395 yards wow. on first downs. Mm. Now, five of those were plays of at least 40 yards. One of them was the 81-yard run by Milton. Mm. And then against South Carolina, they had roughly 235 yards on first-down plays. Mm. If they can be successful on first downs, not like they did against San Antonio. No, they're not going to do that again probably ever. But if they can have success like they did against South Carolina where they're picking up seven, eight, 12 yards on first down, I think they have a chance to have a pretty good offensive outpouring against uh, 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 Texas A&M. It's interesting you use the the pouring word there because I'm curious. If it's pouring down rain this afternoon, do you think that benefits Tennessee more? Is that something that Tennessee fans should be rooting for? Because I think it is. I think you actually want this to be messy. You want Max Johnson to be sliding around and not being able to plant his feet and get the ball. Uh, to those talented Texas A&M receivers and attacking this Tennessee secondary. And I think it also just helps Tennessee have to stick to the run game and find ways to to win where they're comfortable. Um, part of me really does feel like you want this to be a, a mud fest uh, if you're Tennessee. Do you agree? Okay, here here's my concern about that position. And I don't have anything to back it up with. This is just pure speculation on my part. I love if it. It's, if it's raining... Mm-hmm. Is the crowd not as engaged or as loud? No, I think, it's as, I think it's as loud. I think it will be as loud. You, I, I just wonder if there are more fans up there trying to stay dry than they are yelling their lungs out. I think if it was cold, I'd be more concerned. Like if it okay. was 30s, 20s and pouring down rain, then yeah, I think the atmosphere would be significantly hit. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think 60s and pouring down rain. I don't think 
I think that enough fans would still be pretty pretty active, especially with a checker Neil and vibe and everything else. I think that yeah. it would still be pretty loud. Okay, uh, if we go with what you're saying, I, mm. I don't I don't think that I just don't know that uh, I think rainy conditions are going to be favorable for for either team. I, mm. That that's hard to gauge that. Yeah. I mean, why, why would it favor Tennessee? Why would it favor A and M? I don't know. Um, I, I I do think that if Tennessee can have some success running the football, and I don't know, do you run better in the rain? Probably not. I don't know. I I, I don't. I think it's harder to tack, tackle uh, Dylan Sampson in the rain. I would. I don't want to tackle <laughs> Dylan Sampson in space either way. But in the rain, yeah. I don't know if I want to do that. Well, is Tennessee going to give him enough touches? My goodness. Uh, I don't understand that one. And not I mean, playing him against Florida was ridiculous. But anyway, that's a whole nother argument. Uh, I think Samson has, has emerged as their best running back, yep. followed closely by Jalen Wright, and then Jabari Small is the third best running back. When Jabari Small is your third best running back, you got a pretty good running back room, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I think that I think with Cooper Mays back, I think that helps the cohesiveness of the offensive line. I think it helps the run game. I think it helps in pass protection. Yeah. Uh, so I I think I think th- that's a big factor. Here's and I got asked this earlier, and I don't know if there's a great answer. Is it more important to have Danico Slaughter in that secondary versus having Brew McCoy at receiver? We all know Brew McCoy's out, okay. Mm-hmm. But how important is Slaughter to that secondary? He is their best tackler back there. He's their strongest mm-hmm. hitter back there. So how much would he mean to the secondary? I think he could help. And besides, A&M is going to – they'd like to run the football. So mm. Slaughter can come up and run support uh, from the secondary to help Tennessee. So I, I think Slaughter being 100% would be uh, very beneficial to Tennessee. I'll say I think it's Brew. I'm – he Heupel said all the right things where it's like next man up and we're going to plug and play, and I'm like – Look, I think Caleb Webb, he's built almost the exact same frame as Cedric Tillman. I think that's asking a lot of this kid uh, in the middle of the year to just come in and be an instant contributor, jumpstart this vertical passing game, do stuff that Brew did. Brew was the kind of the safety pin for Joe Milton because he's just huge. He's built like a defensive end. He played defensive end in high school. Like he was a go up and get it kind of guy. And they don't have that. Like Caleb Webb's not that wide. He's not that big. I don't. I don't know how you replace him. Like you can, you, Tennessee's shown they can get by with Danico and get because Gabe Judy Lolly, I think, has sneaky been a lot better the last few weeks. So I think that's helped a little bit there. But Danico, like you said, the tackling um, and what he does in space and um, being more physical with uh, corners and just being kind of a good alternative to Kamal because as we know with Kamal and his tackling it's just uh, a little bit. There are two very different kinds of cornerbacks uh, on an island uh, over there, but. With Brew, with just how much they need to be efficient through the air on Saturday, to not have Brew McCoy, the most talented guy there, and who does stuff even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, when he's setting up Squirrel down the field with blocks and uh, whoever else is over there, I don't, I think that's a bigger loss to me. I think Brew is a humongous loss. I don't. Okay. I don't. He's a loss, humongous. How many catches does he have? Yeah. Now, he catches he but, but, but to your point, to your point, he's a really good blocker. He's a very mm. physical player. I, I'll give you that. Uh, and I don't think Caleb Webb and I don't think Chaz Nimrod are, are going to replace him. 
Again, I'm going to mention D. Williams. I think he could be a factor. You're all in on D. You're going to be looking for him, Jimmy. You are going to be checking for number three. You're going to be like, where is my D. Williams in the slot? And I'm going to be yelling from the press box, and Joshua (laughs) will hear me. Uh, Here's a guy, though, I think really needs to step up, Mm. and that's Ramel Keaton. Yeah. I I think he's the guy. Now, you could also argue, well, maybe it's the tight ends. Maybe it's Warren. Maybe it's Castles. Maybe they get more involved in the passing game. Or uh, Ethan Davis, I, who I haven't seen yet. Yeah, and and I I don't know how healthy he is. Yeah. I think that's a part of it. But I think Ramel Keaton is a guy that's got to step up and emerge. He has shown flashes of being really good. Uh, his best three games last year were against Florida, Alabama, and Clemson. Yeah, three of the best teams they played. So it's time for him to step up and play like he can, and he needs to come up big in a big game. He really has been forgotten about, and I don't know if it's uh, an increased spotlight on Ramel, just the way teams are playing him. Ramel's not getting the same opportunities. I mean, super talented kid, and I mean, the Florida catch was an all-timer. I mean, this is another one of those games that's set up for Ramel, and he mm-hmm. was he was someone who had the best rapport coming into the year with Joe. Like That was, I think, a lot of our off-season expectations was that because he was with the second team and worked with Joe so much, on that second unit like they had the most they went to Times square together they have this close uh relationship and it just has not unfolded like that at all the stuff that we saw in the orange bowl and everywhere else like it's just it hasn't worked out that way i wonder how much that drop in the opener has impacted him with perhaps even his confidence i i don't know maybe he's gotten over that but but he's a guy that really has to to emerge Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and here's here's another guy too, Squirrel White. Squirrel White is their most, in my opinion, their most dynamic receiver with the ball under his arms. He can make that first guy miss on the bubble screen or the flanker screens. Uh, he can go downfield. He's quick as a quick as a squirrel, but he <laughs> he can go downfield and and make the long uh, catches as well. Uh, he's a guy, and I hate to say he's got to step up because. What do you have? Nine targets and nine catches. Yeah, he's South like, Carolina. I actually needed to step down. Like my body, yeah. I'm like five, yeah. eight, one thirty. Like I can't keep yeah. taking these hits. Actually, I need someone else to step up. What is Jimmy Himes trying to do here? I don't need thirteen yeah. catches a day. So he, so he, he's already doing his job. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for others that that he's already stepped up. Yeah. Others need to emerge, and Keaton fits that bill. And, and maybe the tight ends uh, will be more part of the throw game as well. Yeah, I. If you had to guess, though, where to put it a bow on all of it, Jimmy, the reason Tennessee wins this game on Saturday, coming out on Sports Search, talking about it on Sunday morning, your number one reason will be what? They were more effective in running the at running the football than Texas A and M was. Hmm. Uh, I, I think that's going to be a big part of it because if Tennessee can contain the A and M run game, which I think they can, and they force them to be a little bit more one dimensional, that means they can get after Max Johnson. A&M leads the SEC in sacks. I think Tennessee is second. Tennessee might even lead in sacks per game. It's pretty close. Yeah, I think that's it, yeah. So I, I, uh, I, think the, I think the team that has the upper hand running the football, look, Tennessee can't go out there. I think A&M gives up 85 yards a game rushing. They, mm. Tennessee won't win if they run for only 85 yards. They've got to get into the mid-100s at 140 range, 150 range. Or I don't think they will beat Texas A&M. So I think the team that has the most success running the football is going to emerge victorious. If on Sunday morning you're having your morning coffee, Jimmy, and Texas A&M won this game, why did Texas A&M win it? 
I'm going to say because uh, probably three reasons. One, they contain Tennessee's run game. Mm-hmm. Secondly, they put a lot of heat on Joe Milton and forced him into some errant throws, and, and Milton ends up not playing very well. He, he would be the third factor. A&M handled the crowd. A&M doesn't have nine pre-snap penalties. They don't have six pre-snap penalties. They don't have hardly any. They're not affected by the crowd with their offense. They don't start behind the chains with a bunch of illegal procedures and make it first and 15. I, I would say those three reasons would be why A&M would, would uh, win. If you're on the Big Orange kickoff on Saturday morning, you're pulling fans who walk by, <laughs> Jimmy. What do you think their expectations will be? Because that's what I found so interesting, too, is like, I think a lot of fans are pretty split. What 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 temperature in Knoxville have you gotten? Do you think the fans will be understanding if they do lose a close game and this won't be the sky is falling? Or do they look at it as like, uh-oh, we the, the season's going, getting away from us pretty quickly and we're in real trouble going forward? What, what do you think the temperature will be on uh-oh. Saturday? It'll be uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't win this game, I think the fans would look at it the way we've been looking at it, and that is that Tennessee's going to lose at least four games this year, maybe five. Mm-hmm. And so you've, after that 11-win season, you've taken a pretty good step back. Yeah. So I think there are going to be some people, oh, okay, well, they won because of Hendon Hooker. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know that that's necessarily fair because you got Nico Imaleva coming in the wings. But I do think and, – and, and you know this, Jason – fans – in the media, overreact. That doesn't sound win- like us at all, Jimmy. I don't. I don't know. What, I don't know what you mean, <laughs> uh, Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, whether it's whether it's a win or loss. So if Tennessee loses, I think that puts a lot of doubt in the fans' minds about. Now wait a minute. Where, where's where is the direction of this team? If you don't beat A and M, you're probably not going to beat Alabama. You're probably not going to beat Georgia, and then. Heck, uh, Kentucky on the road, that's going to be a difficult – I think there's going to be a lot of angst if Tennessee doesn't win it and a lot of disappointment from the fans who have, who have been accustomed to watching Josh Heupel's offense being uh, outstanding, leading the nation a year ago. Uh, and that's another thing, too. If Tennessee doesn't win this football game, it's going to be because they probably didn't score more than 20 or 24 points. I mean, he hasn't won uh, when he hasn't scored at least 30. And the March to 30 is going to be – I think it's just gonna be a lot more arduous than people think, and if it's not, yeah. then they probably win big. I, I will be extremely uh, excited to see how it unfolds, either way. But um, I don't know. I don't have a good feel, Jimmy. Like I think Tennessee wins, but I'm. I also think Tennessee wins like something like 41-24, where I think that's what it has to be. I think it has to be something like that for Tennessee to win. If it's 27-27 midway through the fourth. I I just I have a bad feeling. I'll be lying there on my couch. I'll just be like I just looking over my wife. I'm like this has all the makings of a really rough uh, Sunday morning in Knoxville. That's that's where my gut is. But we shall see how uh, everything unfolds. Jimmy, anything to plug as we wrap up here uh, this fine Thursday evening, sir? Well, uh, just uh, I do a variety of shows. I've got on the Sports Animal. I do the roundtable with Heath Shuler. Uh, it, uh, that's Friday at, uh, from four to five, I'll be doing football finals with Fawad Reves at about, uh, probably nine o'clock, uh, tomorrow night. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Saturday night. Uh, then Sunday morning, I'll be on with, uh, Tim Urban. We'll be doing our show from eight to 10 AM sports sound off Sunday sports sound off. And then I'll do the uh, sports source, uh, from 11 AM to 1230. So my weekends are pretty busy. I'm not doing a whole lot other than that, but the weekends are pretty busy, but I enjoy it. I love college football and love covering Tennessee. There you go. Jimmy Himes, thank you as always. Have a fun 
exciting weekend. Hopefully the ball's pulled out and it's a positive one on Sunday morning. And I will talk to you very soon. Thanks, Jace. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. And I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. you're, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.